0: So a moment ago, we lit the Advent candle of peace. Don't know if you can see the second candle up here, but you should be able to see the ones on the altar. Candle looks impermanent and weak. Obvious that it could be snuffed out at any point. But wars and rumors of wars, they seem like a more honest observation of our times. I just can quickly think of North Korea, the Middle East, the brutality on and off in South America, brutality on and off in Africa. And then there's that which is closer to our own heart and mind, the stress of basic life that leads to battles in every human sphere. These battles lead to fear and despair. The fear and despair justify hatred and violence, and kind of on and on and on this cycle goes, right? And maybe on top of all that, our mental and emotional wiring is increasingly frayed from the constant noise of life. But into that comes a word, comfort, my people, for there is a doorway. And I think maybe the fundamental question the Holy Spirit's asking of us in this Advent season is which to you is most fundamental, the challenges that surround the door or the door? Now, I don't mean that as a theological pop quiz, you would all get that right. I mean it based on your waking reality, right? Disaster and uncertainty, these seem to be like brute, inevitable facts, right? They seem unmovable. And then you add to that now decades of destructive civil discourse, and we're left with wondering who we can trust. The uncovering of systemic sexual abuse leaves us sad and with a multifaceted hole in all our hearts. Hatred of political parties and politicians just sort of slimes us all. I mean, you know, it's one thing to sort of twist and zig and zag up and down and be all around on a roller coaster, right? If you can picture a roller coaster ride and that sort of of out-of-control feeling, well, why aren't you? I mean, you might be screaming with, you know, glee, but why aren't you really screaming? Because you have this sense that these tracks and the sophisticated electronics that go along with it are holding you You're twisting upside down and going at crazy speeds and stopping and starting, but you somehow have a sense of being okay. But who oversees our careening, staggering world? Is human life with its current realities pointed in a specific direction? Is it going somewhere or is everything meaningless? And when we come to a text like Isaiah 40, ancient Israel, miserable and lacking hope and peace, would have been wondering something just like this. Their world was once divinely ordered and secure. But then came this invasion from Babylon and the destruction of most of Jerusalem, the temple being destroyed, their economy was ruined, their social traditions were all stripped away, their leaders were hauled off into exile and occupying forces led by a false god sat on them for generations. And they were crushed under these seemingly immovable brute facts Any illusion that they had had that they could control their circumstances was shattered and it felt to them like they were living in a living death of God's judgment, God's absence, God's silence. But then came this word of a powerful intervention, comfort. There is a door and a doorway, if you think about it for a moment, precisely suggests direction, a doorway, precisely suggests there is a future and gives the hope of new possibilities. In this case, God is coming to reign. And so be comforted, have hope as we said last week, have peace as we are saying this week. For God's promise of comfort and rescue means that a door is open. And a doorway doesn't deny the basic facts of one's present existence. If you wanna look at it, just shift your focus. It doesn't deny that there are sort of brute facts of human life, but hearing this word of intervention or shifting metaphors, seeing this door that's open before us tells us that there is a future that's laden with divine intention and that this then produces in us the gift of expectation and confidence. The knowledge that there is a doorway is a bold declaration about the character of God given to a demoralized people. So when we light candles of hope and peace, we're acknowledging there is a door. And that this peace that we talk about in Advent, this is actually a really big deal. This is not just a big deal in social and political realities. It's actually, I think, a bigger deal within our own hearts. Because the peace, the shalom, the wholeness that's implied in this is a completeness, a centeredness, a groundedness, a kind of Quiet, calm, serene core. That's what's envisioned in this word of intervention. But when you feel trapped and you don't see a door and the brute facts, whichever ones push your buttons of anxiety. So I don't know, they might be economic, they might be healthcare, they might be political, they might be wars or rumors of wars. Whatever it is that pushes your buttons of anxiety, when you lose sight of a door, then it seems like the brute facts just win. And then we lose any sense of quiet, calm, or serene core. And then we just begin to live in agitation and anger and strife. But Jesus is a leader, if he's anything. And every leader, especially a religious leader, knows they have to answer fundamental human questions. And chief amongst them, maybe, is what is the good life? What constitutes the good life? What are the elements of a good life? And at the core of it is peace. That's at the core of a good life. This is why Jesus said, my peace, I leave with you. It's my own peace that I'm giving you. I don't give you as the world does. Therefore, Jesus says, don't be worried and upset. Don't be afraid. I mean, yes, bad things are gonna happen in life. There'll be all kinds of things that surround this doorway, but I've told you this, Jesus said, so that you might have peace in your hearts. And I just wanna say something personal this morning that that prophetic word is a real anchor to me. It is a genuine anchor. It is not to me mere religious, or we might even say artistic rhetoric. I mean, it could be that, but it also could be something real. It could be the thing that sort of funds, holds up your internal and external life. So that while we're never dualists, denying difficult realities, we're able to live into them knowing that we're never actually trapped no matter how we feel that there is this door, which is always an intervention available to us. And this then kind of helps us determine how it is that we're gonna navigate the real challenges of our life. I mean, we either are gonna navigate them, and I don't mean perfection, obviously, so just take perfection off the plate, but sort of in general, we're either gonna navigate them in peace, knowing that we actually are never really trapped, that there's always a door, or we're gonna live it like a caged animal, or an animal in a corner who does feel trapped. And now just think about the headlines in the New York Times and think about your last board meeting at work or faculty meeting. And just understand that when you see those outbursts of manipulation and anger and control and unkind stuff, that that's almost always coming from somebody who is in some way feeling trapped without any sense of safety without any sense of a door that's always there that leads to another sort of reality. And when we grieve in a way that makes us feel futureless, and when we're feeling battered or abandoned or fractured or cynical, I just want to say that keeping the greatness of God before you is the key. And it is a basic key spiritual practice of mine. I said it to you once negatively, don't ever let yourself think bad things about God. And I don't mean to say that Questioning God might not flit through your mind. I don't mean to say that. I mean, don't let yourself linger, right? If you let yourself linger on where's God, who's God, you let yourself linger on the kinds of thoughts that diminish God, well, that doorway diminishes and its power to deliver diminishes. But on the contrary, if you can just think of the greatness of God, a God who is so great that even an innocent little girl who dies in a bombing in Syria, that this God is so great, that she will someday come to give thanks for her life as she knew it in the goodness and greatness of what lies beyond that doorway. Do you see the why in the road here? Your view of evil will either determine your view of God or your view of God, if you can make it great, will help you understand evil. That is a major why in the road. And it informs or malforms the spirit's of every human being. So I just constantly remind myself to ever increasingly be able to articulate to myself, you know how the psalmist talks to himself, oh, my soul, here and there. I'm I'm like constantly talking to my soul to inform my soul of the greatness of God. Otherwise, I mean, that door only has its capacities to the degree that that doorway leads to this great God And this is what Isaiah is saying to the people of God. I mean, he's saying something like, look, you know, with an exclamation point. You're God, with an exclamation point. He's saying something like, you're safe on the other side of the door. The doorway assures you that there's a future, and on that side of the door, God reigns. And that the oppressors of the world, the currently reigning empires, those who have gained position and power and privilege by using others will someday be dethroned. And they'll be dethroned, not to a nothingness, but when they're dethroned, it will be in favor of a sturdy, durable, reliable God, whose strong arm defeats the rebellious powers and who in his fierce compassion is simultaneously to his people, a tender shepherd who carries the lambs in his arms. Are you feeling me here? This is the greatness of our God who doesn't have to resort to anger to dethrone the powers. He doesn't have to become like them. He doesn't have to defeat them on their terms. He's able to defeat them and simultaneously be to you a loving shepherd. So that what's behind that door is a simultaneity of the cutting off of men who are but grass, the lopping off of the heads of all those who presuppose power and use power over others and simultaneously a lifting up of all the little tender lambs who have been abused by the empire. This is our great God. And this is why we tell this story over and over again, every year in Advent, is to remind ourselves that the God who in Isaiah came to his people and rescued them is the God who made himself manifest to us in Christ. And he is the God who will come again. And so in these Advent readings, we celebrate both the first and second coming, knowing that it's this great simultaneity that's coming to us, a leveling that wipes out the empire and lifts up the tender sheep. So in Advent, we just simply say, yes, come Lord Jesus. I mean, come on, who is like him? Like, try to name somebody just for the fun of it. Sit here for a second and think. Who can you think of that in any way approaches his greatness? I mean, setting aside Little data, a little data point like resurrection, right? I mean, setting that aside for a second, which marks him out different than amongst all humans, just his greatness. Look, I think what I want to say to you is there is a direct correlation between the mere rhetoric of Advent words like hope, peace, joy, and love. There's a direct correlation between that remaining mere rhetoric and you considering the greatness of God who funds those concepts. And to the degree that there's a great God that lies behind those concepts, you have the hope of living into a reality. Otherwise, it really is just sort of mere religious, or you could say in this case, artistic rhetoric. So you might wonder, well, what would walking through the door be like? Well, Jesus told us, and this is one of the reasons I'm such a Jesus freak, is Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, and then there's this incredible little word, for. And he's answering the question, here's why you should take my yoke on you and learn from me. Here's why you should, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Now, can I just, I'm not much of a prophet, and I don't really gamble or make bets, but can I just, I'll i just take a risk here and say that it's gonna be decades or generations before you read a headline in the New York Times talking about a political or governmental or corporate leader who is known for being gentle and humble in heart. You can't even imagine political rhetoric that's gentle and humble in heart. It is literally unimaginable. But Jesus is great. I need another word. Somebody get out of this thoris. I mean, he is stunningly amazing. And is fundamentally gentle and humble in heart. And he says, as you follow me, as you walk through this door, what you'll find is rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'm not like the umpires. In me is gentleness and tenderness and care, which leads to peace. So Mark, in our gospel reading, and we're almost done here, he's like more breathless than I am right now, right? Have you ever noticed that Mark doesn't start like Luke and Matthew with this beautiful story of nativity? Have you ever noticed that? Just look at your... Look at your bulletin. There's not this amazing theologically rich prologue like there is in John, the first 16 verses of John. He just jumps right in. This is the beginning of the good news of God. Hey, world, hey, world, this living as if the facts of your existence are brute and God is wimpy like a candle just blowing in the wind. Yes, Mark says, no this is the beginning of the good news of God. God's reign is coming and he'll turn the world right side up and there will be peace and that that peace will be rooted in an experiential knowledge of the care and competence of God's love, of you coming to the place like as your pastor, as one who loves you, like if I could give you an Advent gift, I'd want to give you something like this. The knowledge that this world as it presently is is a perfectly safe place for you to be because the empires are not fundamental. What lies behind it is fundamental. And as we place our life in what lies through the doorway, then we realize that this is a perfectly safe place for us to be. But of course there exists in all of us uh, an inescapable yearning for God, for his fulfilled purposes, for human leadership malpractice to stop and for the variously marginalized to be healed. Frederick Buchner put it this way. He said, no matter how much the world shatters us to pieces, we carry inside of us a vision of wholeness that we sense as a true home and that beckons us. And that gives us this rich image then of a doorway that's open to us and through which we see every valley being filled in, every mountain or hill being made low, everything crooked in humanity being made straight, and all the rough ways being made smooth. Now Beth said last week at this moment that during Advent, we're kind of switching up our practice from normally sitting in silence with these things to praying for one another in these things. So in a moment, I'm going to ask you, and you just should just feel childlike about this. Just have a little reckless abandonment about this, a little childlikeness about this. I'm going to ask you if you feel like there's a place that you're aware of as you come in here this morning of a valley in your life in which you lack peace or something that seems like an unmovable mountain to you where you lack peace or something that's crooked where maybe you're you're feeling hopeless and not a lack of peace. I'm going to ask you as Travis begins to play to just gently stand where you are And then around you, your people who love you will just, you know, put a hand on your shoulder or something and just pray for you a moment to just, to just let us be a community who is holding each other in these places where we might feel like we lack peace. So if you'd like that, just take a moment right where you are and stand with me now and someone will gather around you and pray for you.